Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Ask Dr. Jessica. I'm your host and pediatrician, Dr. Jessica Hockman. Today, you will hear my conversation with licensed marriage and family therapist, Betty Alkazian. In the area where I practice pediatrics, Betty Alkazian is well known as an incredible parenting coach. So on today's podcast, you'll hear me picking Betty's brain about common parenting issues that come up this time of year. We talk about how to help kids adjust to the start of the school year, strategies to handle sibling rivalry, and she offers practical advice so we can help set limits for our children. Betty is also the author of two books that I recommend, Parenting Backwards, A True Owner's Manual for Parents, and Potty Learning, The Do's, Don'ts, and the Oops of Poops. Thank you so much for listening. If you are enjoying this podcast, I would be so grateful if you were to leave a five-star review, and please follow me on Instagram at AskDrJessica. Well, welcome, Betty Alkazian. So nice to have you here. Thank you. Great to be here. So tell the audience about yourself. Who are you and what kind of work do you do? Uh, So I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I have a private practice in Westlake Village uh, and I specialize in parenting. I call my business Balanced Parenting, where I do speaking and writing and uh, parent coaching for parents to kind of help them through all the bumps along the way to raise great kids. So when you say that you are, your title is Balanced Parenting, does that tie in with your general philosophy on parenting? Can you explain where you get that title? That's a great question, actually, because I don't really believe there is such a thing as balanced parenting, I always, which is, I guess, completely ironic. It's more about um, moving toward balance all the time. We're never actually in balance. We're always making adjustments to in the hopes of getting closer <laughs> to balance. But um, it, especially nowadays, I think it's getting harder and harder to find that balance for a lot of parents. It's just so complex to raise kids in, first of all, in a post-pandemic world in even before the pandemic, it was hard with um, online internet complications and all of the things that that we deal with. So my hope is that we're all kind of trying to figure this out. I have three kids of my own who are adults now, but the parenting never ends. And so we're all kind of in the trenches together trying to figure out this life and hopefully to be good models for our kids and to help them and all of us navigate this crazy life. Absolutely. And I'm I'm so glad that you acknowledge that it's impossible to really truly be in balance as a parent, because I think that's what so many of us struggle with, you know, between marriage and career and children. Um, It's just so, you know, now with all this talk about self-care, when are we supposed to fit time for that in, exercise, eating right, it just seems like such a daunting task. (laughs) I like that you're giving permission that it doesn't, that there's really no such thing. There isn't. If anything, we have to be kinder to ourselves because it, like I said, the job has gotten harder in the last several years and we really need to be kind to ourselves and um, teach our kids to be kind to themselves too, right? It's all, um, uh, our goal is to model for our kids figuring out the hard parts of this life and even to expect life to be hard and how to navigate that while being kind to ourselves along the way. 
Now, I'm just curious, when you say be kind to ourselves, is that something that you notice an issue with in your day-to-day practice? Could, could you tell the way I said that? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I think parents are so, we are all, and I will include myself, we are all so hard on ourselves. We all need to um, allow ourselves the space to make mistakes and to be imperfect and to just be authentic, really. I think our kids learn more when we make mistakes and say, oh, I made a mistake. Okay, and then we do whatever it takes to make it better rather than attempting some perfection that doesn't exist. I think it's so tricky because... You know, you want your kids to think that you're that you're perfect, but the truth is they probably appreciate it when you can acknowledge that you make mistakes. Exactly, because who can live up to that? And in fact, I work with a lot of people in therapy who think that they had a perfect mother or father and they their whole lives were striving to accomplish that, when in reality if their parents would just show their imperfections, more readily and honestly, then the child wouldn't have felt like they had to chase some unbelievable goal, right? Right. Let alone expecting perfection from themselves, which is not going to happen. And perfectionism is actually a, um, a function of anxiety anyway. So that's interesting. How do you, so tell me how you, how you connect those two. So anxiety is, uh, it's, I always say it's like this little gremlin that's super sneaky that shows up in a thousand different ways, like perfectionism, worry, control. Um, how else does it show up? Having a hard time sleeping. It shows up in all these ways or even meanness. I, a lot of times people will come in and say, why is my kid so angry? Why is my kid so mean to other kids? And then when we drill down and really figure out what's going on, what we realize is that their child is really just anxious and doesn't know what to do with it. So we have to then educate kids about what they're experiencing, what to call it, and then what to do with it so that they don't have to act it out. They can actually use their words and say, I'm feeling anxious about this. That's so interesting. I I agree with you. I do think that anxiety manifests in so many different ways. Myself, for example, I like to think of myself as type B, relaxed, not very anxious. But where I notice that I do have anxiety is that I'm a terrible sleeper. And I recognize it when I'm going to bed at night and I keep thinking of things and I'm I'm not good at getting a good night's sleep. And I know that, you know, I I definitely have anxiety underlying that. For sure. And there are so many, as a doctor, I'm sure you see so many physical complaints, right? A lot of kids will complain of stomach aches or headaches or other kinds of physical symptoms that are actually um, just how their anxiety is showing up. No, absolutely. I think, I think sometimes when parents come with their kids and they have complaints Um, especially we see it physically in the, in the head and in the stomach, Um, you know, stress, kids will put their stress in their belly. They'll put their stress in their Mm -hmm. heads. And I think, um, I think sometimes parents, um, they recognize that, but it's, it's hard to think that it's not something actually physical happening. Like there's not a physical reason causing those physical complaints, but it's so true that the mind and the body, they're very connected. Um, And the mind can absolutely cause 
we call them somatic symptoms or physical symptoms, very common. Absolutely. And I think it's hard for a lot of parents to want to admit that their child is experiencing anxiety, mostly because anxiety is often hereditary. And so it might be the parent's anxiety too of, oh my gosh, maybe I'm not being a good enough parent. And so they really want a pill that makes it all go away (laughs) because then they don't have to, um, you know, admit that maybe they need to address their own anxieties first. That's so true. I think um, as a parent myself, when I think about my kids worrying, I do think, did I do something wrong? Could I have done something better or different? So I think you're absolutely right. So now going back to what you're saying about children and anxiety, I do feel like this is something that's been so pervasive. It's always been an issue with children, but I definitely see an increase since the pandemic. And I'm just curious, do you have any general advice for parents that have kids that are anxious? Any first steps they should think about? Yes. What I often recommend is first and foremost to really meet your kid where they are and don't feel like you have to solve it or fix it for them, but to just join them and recognize it and kind of be willing to sit in the discomfort with them. Kind of like if you can picture like your kid is uncomfortable and you sit down with them and you say, I can see that you're really uncomfortable, right? Or I can see that you're scared. I can see that you're worried, whatever you think that they're experiencing. And then just be present and just sit there and say, if if I'm expecting you to tolerate it, I'm going to tolerate it right here with you. You're not alone in this. And then what it does is because when they're anxious, their nervous system is hijacked, right? So what we want to do is kind of join them, let them know they're not alone. And then when their nervous system can calm down even just a little because they don't feel so alone, then you can problem solve it and engage the brain to do figure out what you want to do about it. But really what they need is for us to be present and to love them in spite of being nervous, worried, scared, whatever it is. And then they can figure out how to fix it themselves. We don't have to fix it for them. We just have to love them through it, if that makes sense. Absolutely. It's sort of like what I imagine. Well, I'm just, I'm wondering, maybe we could role play here. Like, let's say this is something that's come up a lot this week because kids are going back to school. And I've heard from multiple parents that their kids are feeling some trepidation about going back to school. They're worried. They don't want to go back to school. So let's say I said to you, um, you know, let's say you're my mom. And I said, mom, um, I just don't want to go back to school. I don't like school. I don't want to go back. Can't can't I stay home and do Zoom classes? How should a parent respond to that? Instead of addressing the words, what I recommend to parents is to address the feelings. So what we really want to do is say, wow, it sounds like you're really feeling nervous about the new school year and get to the truth. Just don't be afraid to say it. So often parents are afraid of saying the truth for fear that they're wrong, that they'll actually plant the idea in their kids. But the truth is, if you're wrong, they'll tell you that you're wrong. (laughs) You're not going to give them a worry they didn't already have. So then just yes. address that feeling and say new things are hard. I get it. And then maybe even share an experience you've had 
when something was new and scary. Or I remember I used to get really nervous and get stomach ache and diarrhea before the first day of school, or I couldn't sleep the night before, or whatever it is, and to let them know they're not crazy, it's normal, so we're normalizing their experience. We're giving them a word for it and saying, yeah, that's called anxiety. Everybody gets nervous when something's new. Or all the kids are, are having anxiety before school starts. And to really make help them feel like they're not crazy or different in some way, because there's nothing pathological about anxiety. We all have it. We're all hardwired for it but some of us just feel it more than others. And so then we say, you know what I do when I'm feeling anxious about going into a new situation, I take a deep breath and I focus on my belly and I think about all the things I'm looking forward to or whatever, you know, use a tool that has worked for you. Or you can say, I'm really nervous too. What should we do and help brainstorm? Let's go for a walk. Maybe looking at the flowers and the trees will help us feel better. And to just, you know, don't be afraid to let them be uncomfortable, but then to brainstorm with them and let them know they're not alone in their discomfort. I love this because I think it's so easy as a parent to just want to change the subject or tell, you know, not talk about it because it can be uncomfortable to have these conversations but I absolutely think you're right. Just sitting with the discomfort for a little bit, knowing that it will pass eventually, I think is really helpful yeah. for kids. In fact, it will pass quicker if you address it directly, right? When you avoid it, then you're teaching your kids it's, that you're not a safe place for them to share those feelings. And so you really want them to feel that you're a safe place to land and that they can speak the truth. So when you speak the truth, you're paving the way for them to speak the truth too. I also like what you said about sharing a personal story because I, I do find like I think about my own childhood and when my, when my dad or my mom would share a, a story about their own childhood, it definitely helped, you know, definitely helped to know, okay, this is something that other people went through, other people that I'm close to went through and they're okay. They got through it. Yep. Exactly. And I remember my kids saying to me before bed, mommy, tell me another story about when you were little. Like they love to know that we were young too, and that we were kids once and that we went through the first day of first grade too, and that we have been where they are. Because I think that um, helps them to feel like we get it. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's always, I always like telling stories with patients as well. I think it really helps connection. Agreed. And that can, oh, you bring up the most important piece. Connection is really what kids need to feel from us. We don't have to fix all their problems, but if they feel connected to us, then they will have the confident, confidence to fix their own stuff, problems, issues, whatever. So connection is the key to what our kids really need from us, even more so than discipline. Yes, yes. Especially as parents, I know when kids have conflict or there's struggles, it's so easy to want to say, you know, you want to take away a privilege or take something away rather than work through the issue. Right. But think about if we punish 
a kid who is acting out because their nervous system is hijacked from anxiety or stress or frustration, whatever the big feeling might be, and we punish that, we're saying your feelings aren't okay. What we really want to do is figure out what's really going on here. And if their nervous system is being hijacked, then we want to help them get a handle on that better. And then they can figure out for themselves, right? Like what we want to do when they're adults, right? When they're having a hard time, we want them to say, you know what, I'm really having a stressful day. I'm going to go for a run or I'm going to go get on my bike or I'm going to go to the gym or whatever it is. Um, because that is a helpful tool that then helps us relax and get our thinking brain back working. Right. Identifying and recognizing the feeling. And then from there, you can say, okay, I remember when I was anxious last time, I exercised and I felt better. I called a friend and I felt better, meditated and I felt better. I agree with that. Recognizing it's half the battle and then you can take action from there. Right. Just going to say when we punish a big feeling, what we're saying to them is number one, I don't get it. I don't get what you're going through. And number two, we're saying you're not allowed to have your feelings, which doesn't make them feel safe. So where I struggle with this as a parent with the punishment is when my kids are fighting with each other. Do you have any advice when kids fight? Like how should parents handle this? I never know when to intervene, when to let them work it out themselves. I'm trying to let them work it out themselves more the older they get. But what's your philosophy on on siblings that fight? So this is a really hard one because it is so uncomfortable for parents, right? They don't want their kids to be fighting. Number one, it's loud. It's uncomfortable to witness other people fighting. But what I often encourage parents to do is to remember all that our kids learn from having sibling relationships and even from the fighting parts, right? So what they learn from each other is conflict resolution because the truth is they might fight, but then a minute later they want to play with each other, right? So they also learn resilience because that minute later they want to play with each other. And then, so there's conflict resolution, there's resilience. Um, They are learning unconditional love that I can be really mad at you and want to play with you the next minute. And that we're family and we have each other's backs and I might be mad at you, but if somebody else gets mad at you, I'm going to defend you, right? So it's sort of that team player kind of uh, philosophy. Um, So I encourage parents to stay out of it. It's also not your relationship, right? Can you imagine? My favorite example is imagine if your neighbors heard you and your husband fighting, right? In the kitchen, (laughs) the window, and they came over and they're like, I know how to fix this, right? You go to your room and you go to that room and, you know, you'd be like, what? Get out of here. It's sort of the same thing, even though you've been a part of their relationship their whole lives, it's not your relationship. So you don't know if they're fighting about something that really happened two minutes ago or two days ago or two weeks ago or two months ago even, right? So it's not your relationship. So you definitely want to stay out of it and you never want to point fingers. Even if you know who started it or you think you know who started it, you don't know. Again, it's not your relationship. You don't know parts of the relationship that we're not privy to. And so if you're going to make a comment like, whoa, I don't care for how the two of you are speaking to each other. 
that's okay. Because now you're making a global statement and you're not pointing fingers at any one person. Because if you're blaming one child, then that child feels that you've turned against them in favor of their sibling. But you are that child's parent too. Yes. So what they really need you to do is keep it fair, which means, whoa, you're violating our family's values right now, the way you're treating each other, and I don't care for this. You can take it outside, but I don't care for this in my home. That's okay. Then you're defending your family's values. But you never want to point a finger or blame one child over another. And you can say, it sounds like you guys need some time away from each other. Again, it's kind of a socialist thing that you're, you know, everybody has the same impact. I have to be honest that probably the least favorite thing in my day to day is when my kids fight. It just bothers me so much when they're getting along well. It's the, my favorite part of my day. I love it so much. It's the best when I see my kids getting along yeah. and sharing and loving each other. Um, but the opposite emotion comes out when they're fighting and I just... I want to fix it. And especially if the youngest will say to me or one of the kids will come up to me and say, mommy, you know, can you, can you help? You know, she took my thing or he wasn't nice to me. And so it's hard not to intervene. But you're right. I think letting them resolve it on their own is is the best path forward. Right. And we can really create uh, resentment in our kids against us. If, if we're especially, you know, oh, but my little one needs to be defended, right? That kind of thing will make the older one resent you. It's like, well, why does she, why do you always defend her? That's not fair. Every kid needs to feel that you have their back and that you love them just as much, right? Every kid worries about not getting their fair piece of the pie. And so it's, you, that's why you send them back to each other to go resolve it, right? Like, I'm sorry, you guys are having a hard time getting along, uh, but I trust you, you two can figure this out together and then leave them to do it. I once read an interesting article in NPR about siblings and how about two thirds or so, two thirds even more of adults will, when you ask an adult who is their best friend, over two thirds will say that one of their siblings is a best friend. And when they, the interesting part here is that when they asked the adults who did not list a sibling as a best friend, the most common reason that they listed uh, for why that's the case was perceived parental favoritism. So I thought that was so interesting that basically the idea is if you have more than one kid, you, you're very likely to be giving them a best friend. And for those that didn't view their sibling as a best friend, there was somewhere in there they thought the parents were playing favorites. So I think that's such, you know, I, for what it's worth, I, I took that as a reason to really try to let my kids believe that, you know, everything's the same between them, that I don't, that I don't have a favorite, which I don't, but um, that they really believe that and, and feel that. Yeah, that's why I always say don't ever, you know, choose one over the other for or blame even if you think you know who started the fight, because they perceive, even if they're totally wrong, they perceive that favoritism. And it really does grow um, a lot of pain over time if it continues. Now, what about the kids that that really push us, um, that really push us? Like, I, I find that a lot of parents, I don't know if it's because of the pandemic and we feel sorry for them, things that they've missed out on, their sports, school, things like that. 
But I find that parents, there's a common theme where we're having trouble setting limits, setting boundaries with our kids, saying no. Do you have any general advice for parents that are listening who struggle with this? Oh my gosh. We have to be willing to say no to our kids because we have to communicate to them that we know better for them than they know for themselves. And and that begins at six months old, right? We know when a tired baby needs to go to sleep, even though they don't want to miss the party, right? And, And every stage beyond that. So we have to be able to teach our kids um, obviously right from wrong, healthy habits, things like that. We have to be willing to for our kids to be uncomfortable. Um, and we, we have to help them crave, again, using the word balance, but it's not really balance. It's, you know, faux balance, like we were saying earlier, that if they've been indoors, maybe on their tablets for a period of time, then it's time to go outside for a while. And after you've been outside for a while, it's okay to come in and have some quiet downtime, that kind of thing. Or maybe even if you're dealing with too much screen time, which is a really hard thing to to set boundaries around for a lot of parents, um, to just say for every half hour of screen time, you have to have two hours of outside time or whatever ratio parents are comfortable with. So it's really just about saying, hey, it's my job to teach you healthy habits and how to be in this world and what's important in this world. You know, I often talk to parents about using your values really as the place to come from when you're setting boundaries. And that is in our family, schoolwork is really important or in our family, telling the truth is really important or being responsible with our stuff or being kind or whatever your values are. They might be different from my family's values, but live by them and you know, make sure that you're reinforcing them and modeling them every day. I think you make a really good point about modeling because I think what's so hard for a lot of parents is we we want to limit their screens, we want to limit their desserts, and we partake in those things. And even though, right. you know, and then we're on our phones, like, and then we're on our phones, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. Or last night, my husband was. We we told them, you know, that was enough for dessert, and then. Uh, they wanted ice cream. No, no ice cream tonight. We had enough, you know, last weekend. And then my kids found my husband in the kitchen, you know, eating ice cream. And so it's important. <laughs> you got caught in the act. So I think it's important that we we are role models. So that's you know, hard for us. For all of us, it's hard. But we have to remember that kids are paying more attention to what we do than what, what we say. That's a good point. That actions matter more than they, they notice actions more than words. Yep. They trust them more. Right. If we say to your, if we say to kids, it's so important to exercise, that'll fall on deaf ears. But if they see that you're an exerciser, that's part of your life, you integrate it every day or a few times a week, they'll likely follow suit. Well, okay. This has been so helpful. I love, I love the topics that we've talked about. Where else can parents find you if they want to talk to you? Thank you so much. Um, I can be found on Facebook. Balanced Parenting is the name of my page or on Instagram. I'm balanced.parenting. Just trying to keep it all as, uh, you know, uniform as possible so you can find me. And um, 
I also have a website, balancedparenting.com. You've helped, <laughs> you've helped so many people and I'm so grateful to know you, to connect with you. And thank you so much for your, your really helpful advice. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Ask Dr. Jessica. If you have an idea for a future Ask Dr. Jessica episode, feel free to email me at askdrjessicamd at gmail.com. See you next Monday.